How you doing, Arizona Nation? Welcome back to another edition of the Arizona Podcast. I'm your host, Dax. Arizona 24, Arizona State 10, and the Sun Devils are facing a third down and nine from the 10. Uh, I'm sorry, a third and goal from the five. Van Rappor's rolling, looks back, now he's under some pressure, now he throws, intercepted in the end zone! Martin Rudolph! Cecil, oh, Chuck Cecil! Chuck Cecil with Rudolph as a convoy! Chuck Cecil with the longest interception return in Arizona We are now on iTunes and Google Play. Remember where the Arizona podcast sets Echo Romeo Alpha podcast when you enter your search. Remember to follow Gabe at Gabe underscore Encinas and Brandon Combs at at U of A Bear Down 07. Uh, check out ArizonaDesertSwarm.com for all your latest Wildcat news and articles from Gabe and Brandon and the rest of the Swarm crew. Follow the podcast on Twitter at PodcastZona. Visit us on Facebook at The Arizona Podcast and email the podcast at ArizonaPodcast at Gmail. Uh, feel free to email, tweet, and post. We've got our first follower, uh, Chris, uh, four ply, at 4ply guy, who joined us in our over-under for the day. Uh, other people that have jumped in on the over-under for the season include uh, Dakota Black, uh, Twiddly Dumb, Brett Berry, Brian at, at Bear Down Brian, Brandon Taylor at Arizona Wildcat for Life, and Steve Chief Burt at uh, Chief Zona 1472. So welcome back, gentlemen. Howdy. How's it going, guys? I think we're going to have to take away the sharp objects for the Arizona fans after uh, Saturday night's uh, <laughs> uninspired initial game from uh, Kevin Sumlin. Uh, just some quick housekeeping stuff before we get uh, on to the breakdown of the game. Uh, we spent some time talking about uh, Santino uh, Maricol and his uh, grievance against uh, Texas A&M. He's actually no longer on the roster, and he's going to be attending Glendale Community College. So much ado from an Arizona Wildcats fan, but it was an interesting conversation at the time. The uh, Arizona Wildcats, unfortunately, uh, fall to the uh, BYU Cougars in our opening game, 23-28. to 28. Um, I'd like to start with the offensive line. We were starting uh, four out of five new players, with uh, Cody Creason being the only player with any significant snaps. Um, I, I actually watched uh, Donovan Lay because I thought for sure Lacusa was going to move to left tackle and, and um, we would have had um, Elatise at guard, but that's not what happened. And um, I thought he acquitted himself very well at left tackle for a true freshman. Uh, Brandon, why don't you start out and give us your, your breakdown of how the offensive line played and, and what you thought of that lineup. So uh, I actually thought the lineup was pretty – pretty solid actually after after the game progressed i was kind of surprised the pass protection was was i mean it was better than anything i think anyone thought it was going to be and anyone could have hoped for there were times that tate had all day uh to throw uh, honestly i only saw them get blown up i think really only in the third quarter when it came to pass protection um mccauley actually held his own um as as in you know for a walk-on and uh you know, first game starting at, at a new position at center. Um, he played uh, three games at tackle last year. I thought he did pretty well. Um, no, no crazy snaps either. And that that's, that's 
that cannot be uh, overstated how important that was. Uh, but I agree. I think Donovan Lay was, you know, watching him. He held his own pretty well. He had, a, you know, he's a freshman, so he had a couple of hiccups here and there. But um, I think he's going to have a really bright future at Arizona. Um, had a, you know, really solid game. Lucas, uh, he had a pretty solid game as well. There were a couple times I saw. Um, I think there was one time I saw Kane and Lucas bump into each other when they were doing a crossing. I think it was in the first quarter or second quarter, sometime in the first half. They were doing like a crossing guard or pulling guards, rather. Sorry, and it looked like the they bumped into each other, but uh, it's really not 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 terrible. Um, Creason had a really solid game per the use. She had a couple, you know, a couple of mistakes, but I think give give the offensive line some more time, probably a game or two. I think once they start hitting a Pac-12 conference play against Oregon State, uh, they should be pretty gelled and uh, you know, we'll have Lathe Frake back by then. Um but overall, I thought the lineup was pretty solid for you know, all things considered. Um, the major major issue um, that I had with the the line was the they didn't get enough push when it came to run blocking. There weren't very many open lanes for you know the running backs to uh, to make plays. Uh, JJ busted a couple of big runs uh, on the night, uh, but they uh, like one was up the middle, and then the second one was kind of around the outside um, into the uh, you know end of third quarter, beginning of the fourth. So um, yeah, I, I think it was it was better than any anyone expected, especially myself. How about you, Gabe? Yeah, I mean, Brandon pretty much hit it right on. Going in, obviously, that was that's the most worrisome position uh, with four starters. Arizona's had one of the best rushing attacks over the past two years leading the conference, and so you kind of wondered how much that would carry over. And when you have a guy like Khalil Tate, you need a lot of protection there and to get the offense going. But, yeah, I, I really liked Lay at left tackle i thought he did pretty well i mean that's your blind side right there and he's stepping in as a true freshman and uh they were doing a lot of stunts on him and so i think he handled that really well uh lacusa i think he did a good job i like you i was surprised that Elatise did not step up so i think that's something definitely to watch out for just to kind of see where Elatise really falls i think lay probably being at left tackle uh, isn't so much of a, uh, I think that just shows how good he is. I don't think that's anything on Lacusa not being a good left tackle, but I think Lacusa being shifted over to left guard is a little bit more telling of Elatise. Uh, with Josh McCauley, I think he did all right. He got blown up a couple times with Bryson Kane. I thought those two, uh, they were probably picking on them a little bit more. And then Creason, obviously your most seasoned guy with a couple of starts did okay um but i mean yeah overall pass protection was there khalil had some time running like brandon said you wish you had some more oomph behind that and could get some more going in that area but overall considering the amount of concern we had going into the season i thought that it was pretty serviceable yeah we talked about this before i i don't think that that we felt that our 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 offensive line versus BYU's front seven was necessarily an advantage for us. So I, I think that this is a situation where, you know, the the worst case scenario outruled any sort of unreasonable expectations about how the line might perform. Yes, we didn't get the best push with the run. Um, I, I think that, and we're going to obviously go into this quite a bit, 
you take in. Khalil Tate, who has the ability to scramble, run, and make people miss, and you thought that would have been a neutralizer for a relatively inexperienced offensive line, but clearly that was not the case. So let's go ahead and get into that. So Khalil Tate, in his post-game press conference, uh, basically said that quarterbacks throw the ball, and uh, he wasn't kidding. His um, his eight rushing attempts tied for the fewest he's had since becoming the starter. Um, is this something that he and Noel Mazzoni are planning to do to develop his quarterbacking skills, or was this a legitimate game plan, Gabe? Uh, I th- I think it's their legitimate game plan because when you listen to Kevin Sumlin and his post-interview press conference or post-game press conference, he was saying that uh, you know they did take a lot of shots deep, but he feels like they have a lot of guys that can go deep, spread or take the top off, spread the ball out, and take those chances. And they did go to Devon Cooper early twice. I think that resulted in at least one pass interference. You have Sean Poindexter. I think it was he actually got two pass interference. Okay, so he got two of them. Yeah, so so I I know he definitely drew at least one of them. Sean Poindexter, your six five guy, he can come down with it. Uh, you really got to pay attention to Tony Ellis, and he can sneak out there. So they do have the guys to do that, but they were just throwing it. I think Michael Lev tweeted out they were 0 for 11 on passes over 20 yards on an attempt. So I mean, it was it was just kind of for for me. I think that was a lot of game planning where yeah, they're going to take a lot of shots deep, and they do have the personnel to do it. But I think at some point when you're going first and ten, and you're throwing it deep like that, and then mixing in a run and hitting into a third and eight situation and then going deep again, you know, that's just asking for, you know, an ineffective offense right there. And you're asking a lot from big play potential that, you know, you wish you could have a little bit more run out of Khalil Tate. And then that's resulting in a 30 second to a minute real time drive. And now your defense is heading back out on the field. So it was really interesting, the game planning and just the amount of shots you would think that, if uh, I mean Khalil Tate can be pretty greedy and I think you can tell when he's trying to make a throw and there's a lot in the intermediate and flats game that was open Shun Brown was clapping his hands a lot in the flats and and in the short passing game for the ball but I think at some point if it's not part of the game plan then you take that out of the offense and that's on Noel to get on Khalil to adjust that and start making him look in the shorter passing game to get that going. Cause it just wasn't happening. You did draw some pass interferences, but that wasn't enough to, to justify just going long. Yeah, it's interesting. And, and I'll let you expand on that. Um, Brandon, for sure. Um, uh, you know, we all watched the incomplete long pass after the incomplete long pass, and it and it harkened back to the three one-yard rushes by Rich Rod's offense with a high-speed, um, uh, you know, offensive play run, and then back to the sideline. So uh, by the time we got to the third quarter, and the defense was cramping up left and right. Um, it, it felt uh, incredibly reminiscent of those days. I've largely argued that. Um, Khalil Tate's explosive play index is really the definition of of what he does well, whether it be on the run or the pass. And and he didn't him not connecting on those long passes, and with the college rule being that you only get the 15 yards on a PI, no no matter how long it is, it really did limit his ability. I can imagine teams in the future going, um, you know, zero coverage and just telling their defensive backs if you get beat, just 
uh, you know, perf- you know, get the interference and we only give up a first down or 15 yards. It seems like a viable um, plan to contain him from a rushing standpoint, but they clearly weren't interested in rushing him. I'll point out that his QBR was 61.1 when he went 17 for 34 for 197 yards with a 5.8 average. And th- that that's bad, but the guy who won the game, uh, Tanner Mangum, uh, was 18 of 28 for 209 yards with a 7.5 average. He had one more, t- he had a TD and his QBR came in at 60.7. What do you make of uh, Khalil Tate's performance and as it relates to the game plan, Brandon? I, I thought it could have been better. Um, kind of like, I mean, Gabe and I had a really good discussion on this earlier today. I, uh, I think that it, it was kind of a mix of like half Mazzoni, you know, uh, I don't want to say reining him in, but let, letting Khalil know, hey, don't run as much. And then half of Khalil really wanting to work on his passing because you could see there were times that he wanted to, but it's like he held himself back. Uh, I also know there were times I was, you know, watching, uh, rewatching some of the game, and uh, I know I think I saw Lev tweeted out as well. It looked like they uh, BYU did have a spy on him, uh, so when he rolled out, like they, it was mainly just contain, contain, contain. So that that could have been part of the problem as well. Uh, undoubtedly, it was. Um, but you're saying in the sense that like Kafusi was spying him, and, and he didn't feel comfortable running, or. That it it could have been that. Like it could have been that. The read um, was to not run. Yeah, the read was to not run. Um, Cleo may have thought better about you know better. Okay, maybe I won't. Uh, there was just a lot of. I think there were a lot of things at work and a lot of things in play as to why um, the game it, you know turned out the way it did. Um, I mean, I agree with Gabe as well. Like it, I bet you there were times that Mazzoni was like, hey, if the guy if you got the guy open down deep, you know, launch it. Um, but at other times it definitely felt very reminiscent. Like you were mentioning felt very reminiscent of, of last year, um, when Cleo would get greedy. And, uh, even though he had a, a receiver underneath that was open, he would instead launch it down the field. Um, but it, it's kind of strange. It felt like, uh, so like when, if you watch the first half, when everything was going the way Arizona kind of wanted to, and the offense was actually clicking pretty decently, um, you notice that he actually did hit some of those short and intermediate guys. And then man, going into the third quarter, once, once BYU scored, that's when he started forcing things and you could, you could start to see it and feel it and not understand it. And, you know, I, I couldn't understand it. Um, there were definitely times, some of those, those bombs down the field in the, in the second half, you could see clearly receivers open underneath that would, that would give a first down and, and get Arizona marching down the field, but he would just, you know, bomb it down the field. Um, and then you kind of go to the flip side, some of the receivers, right? You had guys that were, um, that the ball hit them right in the hands or hit them right in the head in the case of Cedric Peterson in the end zone. Um, uh, there was one instance where Sean Poindexter had, I mean, the ball, like, yes, he got pass interference, but the ball was no kidding in his hands and it just went right through uh, when he was in the end zone. I mean, we got the pass interference first down, but it could have been a touchdown. Um, so it, it, there was just a lot of mistakes by the offense in general um, coming from the play calling of Mazzoni all the way down to the execution by Tate and the receivers. Um, so I think, you know, when you, when you go from a run first mentality into a pass first mentality, 
type of offense. It's there's going to be hiccups. There's going to be speed bumps. There's going to be all kinds of mistakes that happen. Um, obviously the, the result is what it is. It's not a good result so far for the first game. So, uh, but you know, I'm, I'm interested to see how, how the game plan changes, if any, uh, during Houston next week. I'd like to echo a couple of things. I think both of you guys commented on uh, Tate being quote greedy going down the field. We all knew that was going to be a thing with Tate. He, he's shown that before. And I completely agree. There was a series in the first half where they had a crossing route, just like the one that uh, BYU executed excellently in the second half to, to lead to a scoring drive. And Tate had a guy on a drag route that was going across wide open for a first down. And he tossed it in the back of the end zone into double coverage for an incomplete ball. And, uh, and then subsequently a missed field goal. And that sort of began the, the, the lack of ability to um, finish off drives and, and make success off the, the, th- the things that we were producing on offense. Um, I think that also you guys both pointed out, and I agree, that a couple times the wide receivers just had to come down with a tough catch. I mean, you know, Poindexter had four receptions. Ellison had four receptions, although I thought Ellison looked great um, uh, in the game. Um, you know, J.J. Taylor had four. Cedric Peterson had two. So, and Sean only had one reception. So guys are going to have to come come down with tough uh, you know, long balls on the sideline, uh, contested 50-50 balls, because uh, they're going to be in one-on-one coverage, and and you know if they start pulling those down, it's going to loosen things up. Um, Kevin Sumlin made a point about the edges and how teams now, ever since the Oregon quote uh, blueprint came out on Khalil Tate, have really been trying to contain Khalil that way, and and the way to counter that is to run up the middle. JJ Tech. Uh, J.J. Taylor actually had 18 carries for 85 yards with a 4.7 average. So he he did pretty well. Um, I personally didn't think Gary Brightwell uh, looked Power 5 ready. Uh, that was my take on his performance in the game. But I think we all recognize the run uh, deficiencies with the blocking, at least initially with the line. What do you guys think about the run game and the game plan from that standpoint? Yeah, for me, that one was a little interesting as well. I I feel like overall, just Noel's game plan, just you need to put your guys in position to make plays. And at least with JJ and Gary, those are two guys that need to be on the outside. You need to have JJ turning the corner, getting to the outside. You need Gary Brightwell in the flats. And I think, you know, he was a slot receiver, running back, converted slot receiver back to running back. And he got some pretty decent run. Never, I don't think he actually caught a pass last year, but ran a couple routes last year out of the slot. And so I think he's just one of those dynamic guys that you need to utilize. And for him, it was just kind of straight up the middle, power it up and, uh, yeah, I mean, he he looked okay at times. Uh, I, really hard to judge his performance just overall for me. Just I, I just don't think that he was used the right way. And then Taylor, for being mostly called up the middle, yeah, he did have a good game, but really nothing outside. I think they ran a screen play with JJ, and that got he got caught pretty quickly. But uh, for me, you just need those guys in the open space and. I think it was really interesting to have Anthony Mariscal in there in the very first drive. I think it started with a screen and then he got a carry or maybe it was a carry first and then the screen. Um, but really that first drive, that was one of Arizona's best drives. Um, and, you know, that's when we started seeing just the quicker plays 
uh, shorter plays and just kind of chipping away at the at the yardage there, and that seemed to really work out. But then I think uh, one of you just talked about it when Arizona starts getting down or starts feeling the pressure. That's when they start forcing things, especially with Khalil Tate getting in there. And then I think once they're down, then I mean it's a super young team, so they're down on themselves and just kind of look defeated already. But overall, the, for the run game as that relates. Um, you know, I just don't think that there's no power back right now. I think that's Nathan Tilford, and until he can kind of get things sorted out in his assignments and whatnot, uh, I think that's going to be hurting Arizona right now, especially with a meh offensive line right now. You just need to have J.J. and Gary just a little bit more on the outside and more use with their hands. I think that they can be great pass-catching options out of the backfield and I think that's kind of what we expected out of Noel with these kind of swing passes and quick plays out out in the flats and in the screen so really interesting to see that overall but I mean the rushing you need you need Khalil Tate to at least start cooking with something get the read option going keep the defense off balance and then once you have Khalil Tate going then the whole offense opens up and so I think really limiting Khalil Tate just hurt tremendously I think there were two read options. There was like a fourth and two where Tate got to the outside and converted that and then his touchdown run. But, I mean, once you get you could, Tate going, everything opens up. You could tell on both those plays that was like the USC game where he was willing the team to, you know, even there was one where it was his own read. He, he pulled it, went the other way. It was totally dead. And then he followed the running back the other way and, and, and made it, made the play happen. So those were Khalil Tate want-to things. Um yeah, I agree with you about the screen game. It was really impressive that BYU was able to completely shut that down because it seemed like a, a completely reasonable call. And, and it looked like we had had their D-line you know, on jailbreak, and, and they just shut it down every single time. That felt like it was just uh, you know, a, a chill chair uh, short of being broken, but they shut it down on multiple occasions. Um, well, I, think the, uh, I think the thing with their screen game, too, if you notice, there were times that Khalil dropped back too deep. Is that what you thought happened? Way too deep. Yeah, way too deep. Like, I remember one, it was like a second and 14, or no, third and 14, and it was a screen pass, but Khalil dropped back. I mean, he dropped back so far that Taylor didn't have enough, you know, didn't have enough wiggle room to even, I mean, he gained like half of the yardage, and it was ended up being fourth and seven, but he just, he just if, if, he, if Khalil would have, you know, not drop back so far and gotten the ball out quicker. I think that uh, JJ would have had more more time and probably would have gotten at least more than a uh, more yardage and making it a more manageable fourth down if if Arizona wanted to go for it. Well, let's let's we're, let's come back to the running game, but let's talk about Khalil Tate's timing because I, I think that's an interesting tangent right here. I felt like, especially on the post patterns, there was a lot of guys open over the middle. And listen, we haven't had a quarterback that could complete a ball between the hashes since Tuatama. I mean, Anu couldn't complete it across between the hashes. And then uh, Vanilla Vic, I mean, he lived on throwing it out on the sidelines. And so, you know, Tate can do it. And he did it one time in the game. He hit, he hit that post. But that post was open all night. But I would argue part of the reason Tate's 
you know, long game was as unsuccessful as it was is, you know, he doesn't, I think, currently have the ability to throw the receiver open. He's waiting until the receiver's well open, then throwing it or and or forcing it. And so why don't you, why don't you uh, Brandon, expand on your thoughts on his timing specifically, and then we'll come back and finish the running game because I, I have a specific question for you guys in regards to uh, the game plan. So I uh, I agree. I think that he does wait for the receiver to get open before he uh, passes the ball. Um, I mean, there there are times you can see it. It's 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 if you pay attention close enough, you can see that his anticipation is actually better than it was last year. It's not quite there yet. Uh, man, I remember one. I think it was in the fourth quarter, third quarter second half uh man he had a guy wide open i think it was i think it was tony wide open uh in the middle of the field and he just just threw uh, behind him and and overhead and it just that kind of just like deflated it because that was that was a, a much needed um you know first down play but yeah i agree i mean he hit that the first post uh, pretty well and then like after that it was just kind of so i don't i don't it's a work in progress. Um, definitely an issue in his passing game that he needs to to remedy and remedy quickly. Um, because if, like you were mentioning, if you can't hit wide open receivers in the middles, it's gonna. It, it, well, as you saw, it can be a long night. What do you think about his timing, Gabe? Yeah, I mean, I think I think like Brandon said, it's you, you're never seeing him lead his guys open. It's just gonna be. I mean, which is probably the best bet. It's going to be where it's going to be his receiver that can only catch it. So I guess if you're going to be throwing that, whereas opposed to, you know, BJ Danker, he was just going to fling it up and just pray. And you didn't know what was going to happen. But at least Tate throws it in a safer spot. But at the same time, yeah, that anticipation of finding that window, I think, um, I want to say it was maybe one of Sean's bigger plays. Uh, had him right across over the middle and then just kind of makes him stop right in the middle of the field and doesn't lead him into it. Um, I, that was definitely one of Sean's bigger plays, but just little things like that. And then you see just what, I mean, from at least a TV angle, you see guys just running right across the middle of the field wide open and then he's flinging it deep to somebody and i mean granted sometimes yeah the wide receiver has the guys beat but it's just it's just trying to be forced right there and so that's really just i guess the most frustrating part is that the guys are open underneath but it's just not coming all together yeah, I just want to echo that point. I think it, you know, some people were pointing out the wide receivers, and we certainly had our doubts about the wide receiving core. And I think it's fair to criticize them coming down with some of those long balls, as uh, Brandon pointed out. But, I, you know, to say that somehow they weren't in separation or this, that, or the other, I, I think that that's not, clearly not the case. One thing we talked about in our earlier podcast was how Mazzoni was changing the system so that the, there weren't so many option routes and there would be definitive routes. And we all felt like that was going to help Khalil have an opportunity to uh, pick his guy and get the ball delivered. And I don't know that it's come to fruition in that regard. But I want to jump back to the running game uh, real quick. So... If BYU's, uh, you know, running uh, an edge containment system and they've got a lot of spies and this is the this is the uh, game plan, how to limit Khalil Tate in his explosive running plays. 
why why don't you run more QB power like Rich Rod did, and or why don't you run the inverted veer and let uh, Khalil Tate take up off the middle? Because as I think you very uh, astutely pointed out. Uh, Gabe, we've got more scat guys than power guys currently, and maybe we don't have the best run push with our offensive line. So why not just let that defensive tackle come through, let Khalil Tate do an inverted rear, uh, inverted uh, veer read, and then if the opens middle because they're committed to the edge, he can just take up off take off up the middle. Yeah, I mean that. I mean, really, I would take any type of Khalil Tate run just because that's clearly his best trait. That's what won Arizona games last year, and that's really what you need to cater the offense to. And so, I think once, I mean, even so, if you have the outside contain, I mean, even you could just drop him back and just go QB draw, really, and just have that middle open up, clear out the middle of the field, just try to keep your slot guys going straight up the seams and keep your outside guys either in the flats or send them deep as well you know there's i'm sure there's a bunch of combinations of patterns here you could throw a tight end there we didn't see we saw one target to bryce wolma i think that was in the very first drive looked like he got banged up and that was pretty much it but you can use your tight ends i know uh last year was it against washington state with jamie nunley's uh touchdown i believe i mean that was just a straight play action and you know the defense is so committed to stopping Khalil Tate at that point and now you're getting Jamie Nunley behind everybody so I think having just any sort of read option a draw uh, any type of power run with Khalil Tate just to throw the defense just give them any sort of look but when you're just dropping back and throwing deep every time that's definitely just allowing the defense to key in and uh, allow pretty much just run this spy edge contain and so I mean the the running wasn't great up the middle with the running backs but at least with Clil Tate he can make something happen and kind of scatter to the outside and maybe have an option downfield but yeah I think that's just the most frustrating part is just not having that you're pretty much taking away the home run ability of Clil Tate with his feet and so not having that just hurts agree brandon was uh khalil tate and um noel mazzoni being an obstinate and refusing to have him run the ball or do you see it otherwise i mean i don't know that's kind of a good question because it can it can even you know move more towards not wanting khalil to get hurt first game of the season because if you actually look at the quarterback depth behind khalil i mean Rhett Rod is really the only one that has any kind of in-game experience, and he played in two games last year. So, you know, you got to kind of look at it that way, too, because what, God forbid, what if, you know, what if Khalil did take off running and he just got popped and then, you know, he's out for the whole game? Well, then people are going to be talking about, well, why did they let Khalil run and yada yada. So, you know, it's it's kind of a double-edged sword. It, it's it's literally like a lose-lose for for Mazzoni because either either let him run and risk him getting hurt, and then you're you know if he does get hurt, well you just hurt Arizona's prize, um, you know Arizona's Heisman candidate, or uh, or you don't let him run and you get what you what you got yesterday. So I think there just needs to be a fine balance um, with you know with Khalil running and passing, kind of like. Um, I mean, I mean, it didn't really even happen last year, I guess, but he just needs to have a fine balance uh, of run and pass 
You know, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, he certainly didn't have any balance passing last year. But uh, <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> your points well taken. So let's let's take a second and talk about that because I think it's an awesome um, thing, and I know you want to get up on your soapbox about this. So you know you can't win for trying if you're Kevin Sumlin so or Noel Mazzoni in this case or Khalil Tate so uh, Khalil Tate you know and Rich Rod's system one of the big knocks was Rich Rod was going to get him injured and he was injured plenty and it, it impacted the uh, the effectiveness of the team on multiple occasions i.e. ASU so here we come in and we're having a much more conservative uh, game plan to quote protect the quarterback which you know may have been a completely reasonable, um, uh, you know, construct for uh, Kevin Sumlin and Noel uh, and Khalil in the thought that hey, if we're on our backup, we really have no chance to have a successful season. Um, is and is that worth sacrificing a win? And is that what you believe this game plan was about, or do you think? And this is uh, tinfoil hat stuff here. Do you think that they were either uh, being stubborn in a belief in the system, i.e., you know, one of the things people are espousing is, you know, Mazzoni's trying to, you know, cram Khalil Tate into his pro-style system, i.e., the constant criticisms of Sean Miller and, and his defensive system with his recruits and their lack of, you know, quote, end quote, success, or... Um, if you're really going to go out on a on a ledge like me, uh, you know, if you get here and you're Kevin Sumlin and you look at what you have and you know you're completely rehashing the offensive line, um, you know, do you think maybe next season's a year that you can really put uh, Khalil Tate in an opportunity um, to be successful in the team in general? And so maybe you're just trying to develop a completely different skill set and realize that this season might be a little bit of a wash. Uh, why don't you? I know. I know. Brandon wants to go on a soapbox about those <laughs> expectations. So, Gabe, why don't you start, and then we'll let Brandon, uh, you know, finish yeah. up on that. Yeah, for me, I'll have to say that it's just Mazzoni being stubborn, and I think it's it a lot of it. Just like you said, with Miller and Richrod had his stubbornness and tendencies, and for me, it's just when you have Mazzoni, who's been in the business for 30-plus years and has run his type of offense, he's had his type of guys, he's even recruited Kevin Doyle and Grant Gannell now to pure pro-style guys, I think it is for him just trying to put Khalil Tate into this mold right now that is is definitely going to hurt the team this season, and so, I mean, like you brought up they could develop into something next year where you're bringing it all together but for me i would just rather have just i think as a coach it's up to you to cater to your team's strengths and know their weaknesses and right now i just think that for khalil tate you need to be able to run with him and it's okay to not have a pro style quarterback in college i mean yes khalil's goal is probably to make the nfl and Mazzoni takes pride in grooming guys into NFL talent. But for me, I, I just don't see the need to have this mold that you need to have this offense in, and that's how it's going to be run. So I think it's up to the coaches to put them in position and use their personnel to the best of their abilities. And so I think right now that's not happening with Khalil Tate and also with the running backs with Taylor and Brightwell. And I think that's just probably the most frustrating part for me. All right. So, so with me, I think that it's, 
man, you know, having this having these conversations today with, with you know with Gabe and everything, I I, I kind of go back and forth. Like, yes, I can see Mazzoni being stubborn and 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 wanting to do it his way um, because just history shows that. But at the same time, it's like he's been doing this for X amount of years. He knows, like, he would be foolish, you know. And I don't think he's that that foolish to know, like, what he has, and in Khalil Tate as a quarterback and as a you know a legit Heisman candidate, um, and, and and reining him in for the whole season. I don't see that. I don't. I, I can't bring myself to believe that that's that's what he does, I or that's what he's doing. Um, to, so to me, it's more like just trying trying to protect. Khalil Tate for the first game through, you know, with BYU. Hey, we're going to make a game plan. It's going to be in like, you're going to be passing a lot. That's, that's what the game plan is going to be. Uh, and it just didn't work out. Um, but I mean, cause think about it. Like if you, if you, if you put car lane or, um, you know, Rhett or uh, true freshman, you know, Doyle and, and, and joiner in against Ed Oliver, because Khalil Tate got knocked out there in BYU it's oh god it would it would be horrendous and it's not that these quarterbacks are terrible or anything like that it, it's it's the fact that they're inexperienced the offensive line is shaky um you know it was pretty like i said it's pretty solid in pass pro last night but they did get blown up a couple times so um and you know it, it could happen there's a chance that of it happening against ed oliver in in houston uh because you know houston actually besides ed oliver their defensive line is actually pretty legit so yeah, it, to me, it's it's protecting Khalil, um, you know, I, and I'm okay with that because the season's long. Why why you know lose your first guy in the first game of the season, and then you know him being out for an extended period of time, and then your whole season goes to crap, and your chances of winning the Pac-12 South go to crap. So it's just I don't know, like people, it, it yeah. You know, I, it's people need to te- uh, temper expectations as well, just because you know, going from a again a run first mentality into now a pass first mentality with uh, you know some run in there, that alone takes time. I mean, none of these guys uh, on the team, besides I think Doyle, have been recruited by the staff, um, except for some of the wide receivers, I guess, with with their on age, but. Um, you know, all the offensive linemen were uh, Coach M's guys, and they're all like zone blocking, uh, not not you know pro style type of blocking. So it's just there's a lot of things at work. So and that's just that's just my spiel on the whole thing. Yeah, I know you got more on that, and we'll we'll come back to it. Um, let's move on to the defense. Um, I thought Lorenzo Burns had a incredible game. That that long ball where he turned and, and defended that the ball right in the end zone was just, you know, just shows how much he, you know, when his first game last season when he started and he had the last name Burns, I I did not think that portended well for a a cornerback, but um, he really has come along with the experience he's gotten, and I thought he was exceptional this game. That one ball that bounced off his hand, I don't think he really had a legit shot to um, intercept that. Um, uh, Colin uh, Schooler uh, definitely looked a lot bigger, but maybe he traded a little bit of speed for his uh, size. Our defensive line that was supposed to you know, be dominant uh, gave up uh, three touchdowns to Squally Canada. I don't know how much better of a BYU name you can get than that. And I thought uh, Dylan Colley, the the Hawaii transfer, um, you know, 
had a couple good uh, things. I would say, as a, in regards to the defense, it probably with the cramping and the whole pickle juice uh, jokes. Um, you know, they were out there a lot, as we pointed out earlier, with the three long bombs and out. And, and that's a pretty common theme for us as Arizona fans to see a defense fall apart based on, uh, you know, having to be on the field for the majority of the time. How would you guys rate the defensive performance and, and who did you think stood out, uh, Gabe? Uh, overall, I, I think I was a little disappointed in, in the defense, although I am always. Uh, a little bit more biased towards them just because of, like you said, we're used to seeing even when Arizona would have successful scoring drives, they're out there for a minute 43 and the defense is going back out there. So I think that's always been just a difficulty when you have such a fast powered offense, but with this, it was even faster and you're going three and out. So I do, you know, feel that pain a little bit, but for me, it's year three with Marcel Yates. You've got, nine starters coming back and then you have isaiah hayes who started as a true freshman now sat out last year now coming in i thought he played really well him lorenzo burns and colin i don't think they could have played any better really uh, for me i was always hesitant on hayes he had a concussion i think he had uh, like a quad injury his freshman year and then his shoulder surgery last year i just didn't know how durable he was but uh and yeah, I just don't know. I, I think going into the season, I would have rather have had Jarius Wallace in there to start, but Isaiah Hayes definitely had a really good game and Lorenzo Burns stepped up big time. And then uh, Tristan Cooper, he got banged up and he didn't really play the rest of the game. They experimented with Dave and Coleman and that didn't last long. He missed a pretty bad tackle open in the flats. And then they went to Xavier bell for most of the second half. So th that, those are your two question marks right there, uh, or that, right, I guess with depth right there. And you kind of wonder what they'll do, especially if Cooper is out long term. Um, but really, I mean, your defense should have shown a lot more to me, especially on the D line. You bring in this Juco monster with PJ Johnson. I think it was just, it was, yeah, it was very discouraging for me. Um, I think also with Kylan Wilborn, he maybe he's injured because Lee Anderson was playing quite a bit and he was super quiet. Uh, Wilborn was in the first half. I was really just waiting for him to come off the edge, come up with a strip sack and just completely turn the tide. But Lee Anderson got most of the work there. And I, yeah, I think they definitely missed having Wilborn out there. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it was just disappointing. The D line, you're, they were getting close to bringing pressure and, and hitting uh, Tanner, but they really weren't being much of a threat. You had no sacks, no turnovers either. I think that really just hurts Arizona. Last year, they lived off of turnovers. Uh, they may give up, you know, 38 points a game, but they were creating turnovers. And so I think that was kind of the big thing they were missing there. Um, and then the big thing that really just kind of stuck out with me after the game is when BYU goes for it on fourth and goal at the one or two uh, to go up. I think that would have been their 20. I think that's when they would have hit 28 uh, and they go for it and they convert that. And for me, that's just, uh, you know, them showing their dominance and just putting their foot on the gas and saying that they're not afraid of the defense and they can punch it in. And they did. And that ended up being the difference right there. If you get that stop that 
brings a load of confidence into the offense, I think. I mean, you're backed up at the one or two right there, so that's a tough situation. But at least you get some momentum going. And, you know, the defense, I mean, I think you can do – I think they did all you could do for being out there. Uh, they, they got shredded in the third quarter. But, I mean, they were just out there for a long time and still only gave up 28 points. But just, uh, yeah, for me, I was a little disappointed. Brandon, before you jump in there, why don't you guys hit on at that point, And I think that was an outstanding breakdown of, of what happened with the defense. And I think you hit all the key points at that point when we're down and there's whatever many minutes left and it's our last potential possession. Why does Kevin Sumlin kick the ball out and count on a defense that's, you know, trotting out their, their second and third stringers because of injuries and fatigue? Why don't you jump on that Brandon and then expand on what you thought of the defense? Sure. So I think it was because um, if you actually look, the defense had held uh, BYU. Like after BYU, like I think their last scoring drive was that scoring drive that um, Gabe was talking about, and it was in the third quarter. Uh, and they didn't they didn't score after, anymore after that. So it, to me, it just shows that Kevin was showing confidence in the defense. Um, that in turn can actually help boost the confidence of the players. Um, and, and obviously boost the confidence of the uh, of the defensive coordinator. I mean, it didn't really work out, and I think the reason it, it didn't work out was just because, like Gabe mentioned, that they got – I mean, they were out there in the third quarter for so long. I mean, you feel so bad for those guys. They are trying. They are trying so hard, and um, you could just see that the defensive line was just, just exhausted. Um, you know, with, with PJ and Bowles and, and Justin. So um, – that was that was the main reason I think that that happened. Um, as for how the defense overall performed, other than that third quarter, I think they did all right. Um, Gabe pretty much went over the third quarter, so I'm not gonna beat that dead horse. Um, that is the quarter, in my opinion, that is the t- uh, the point in the game when I think Arizona actually lost. Um, but I will say this. Um, Man, Isaiah, it is so good seeing Isaiah Hayes out there again. Anytime you saw some dude getting smacked in a BYU uniform, it was usually Isaiah Hayes just cracking him. And it's nice to see that he still plays with that reckless abandon, though you want him to kind of be careful a little bit, not, you know, to hold up the whole season. Um, but, man, yeah, I, I absolutely love seeing Hayes out there just cracking people again. It was awesome. Um, I agree. Lorenzo Burns played uh, out of his mind, in my opinion. Um he blanket. I mean, man, his his man coverage is so, so much, much mo better, mo better than last year. It is great. Um, and I actually thought that Tim Huff on the other side of the field did pretty well. Um, you know, came up with six tackles and in, in a PBU. Um, he actually, his side of the field is pretty quiet. They didn't really um, pick on him all that much. Uh, they mainly picked on the middle against the safeties and for whatever reason, Lorenzo's side. Um, Let's see. I, I thought that um, so with the defensive line being the disappointment, especially with PJ and Derek and, and Belke, uh, I do want to point out there was a couple times that they actually got a lot of pressure on, on Mangum. Um, but Mangum being the 29, 30-year-old that he is out there and, and experienced grizzled vet um, just kind of stood there and, and calmly delivered pass. But it just shows the kind of 
uh, future and potential that the line had. JB Brown, when he was out there, he, I mean, I remember, I think it was like his first play out there. He absolutely blew up whatever ta- I think it was the right tack BYU's right tackle and just bull rushed on uh, Mangum, but Mangum was able to um, to quickly just dump out to the flats, you know, uh, pretty much like he did all night. Um, and then there was one instance where they had, I think it was Fenton. Uh, I can't remember who the other D. Oh, Mikey, uh, JB out there, and Jalen Harris uh, at stud. And it was that crazy play um, that bounced B- BYU's direction. Yeah, where, that, the catch after the almost interception. Yeah, it was JB and, and Jalen Harris were all up in Mangum's face. And that was the one time you saw Mangum actually kind of panic. Um, they got, man, they got in his face so quick and he just chucked it up. And Isaiah Hayes was right there, made a great play on the ball, and then boom. That was so uh, close to being an interception. And, and to your point, that would have been the, the difference in the game there, too. Exactly. That could have completely swung the momentum in Arizona. Actually, that would have swung the momentum in Arizona's favor. That was, I think, that, that point was the downward spiral because, like, how crappy of luck can you get, you know? Like you did everything right, and how crappy can can your luck be that that happens? And I think that might have deflated them a little bit. Um, but um, I mean, and then Colin Schooler, I don't really need it's Scooby 2.0, honestly. Uh, I mean, he freaking finished with 16 tackles, and he cramped up a couple of times. I, that's just to me just shows that 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 guy is his sky's the limit for him. Um, I, I cannot stress this enough. Gabe and I talked about it a little bit. Demetrius Flanagan fouls. His coverage is is killing Arizona right now. Because I think it was actually after that. Yeah, it was after that crazy play where Hayes made a play on the ball, but it still bounced to BYU. DFF bit on a on a play action, and Bushman goes right behind him for a wide open touchdown. I don't under like Tony Fields. I don't know why DFF bit because Tony Fields was right there. So there's no reason he should have bit. He should have just followed the the tight end, but he did it. Uh, and then a couple of times, I remember it was a uh, third or fourth quarter. DFF came for up uh, for a tackle and just got blown over too. So I don't, uh, I don't know. I, I think that I would like to see Chacho or even Christian Young get a, a, a chance at bandit now. Um, so yeah, that's, that's kind of the one thing I would say too is uh, I do think that Xavier Bell, when he came in, um, actually played pretty well. I was watching him pretty closely because I've been interested in him since uh, since he signed. So um, it was actually nice to see him. He's pretty aggressive, uh, has pretty good coverage skills, and he tackles really well. So I think um, if Cooper goes down, that might be the the answer at Spur right now. Um, I think uh, Day Day Coleman needs a little bit more uh, development refinement. Um, but yeah, because he made a couple of bad plays last night. But I mean, first game, college game, true freshman, it's going to happen. Um, yeah. But now, yeah, go ahead. Now I was tweeting with somebody earlier today, and we brought up the theory or the hypothesis of even having just Tristan Cooper at Spur, and then you pull Scotty Young in at Bandit, and then you keep Isaiah Hayes at Free, mm-hmm. and then so then at least keep Scotty Young out there, uh, and you have someone with his kind of playmaking ability and then you kind of get to cover up 
DFF. I think that would be really interesting. <laughs> and it'll be interesting to see what they do with him now that he's done with his suspension. I'm not sure how much they will play him, but I do think just having him away from the team spring and summer will be kind of their gateway to, okay, now he's ready. Now he can play. I think that was kind of his doghouse. So it'll be interesting to see what they do with Hayes. I love Hayes at free safety right now. So I think Scotty Young is definitely someone you can move to either Spur or Bandit. Yeah, that actually might be interesting because, yeah, I think free safety is pretty short up with, with Hayes and Jarius. You know, I mean, that's oh, pretty, yeah. those two alone are just deep. Pull DFF and then you have, uh, you know, you have, uh, yeah. And Scotty's not, not a terrible cover uh, safety at all either. So. Yeah, that's something to think about. Yeah, that's a pretty good, pretty good theory there. Yeah, that was an outstanding breakdown for both you guys. I love the the attention to detail on who's rotating and the, the individual contributions to it. It's exceptional. You guys do that better than a lot of professionals, to be to be honest. Um, yeah, that series was interesting because it was third and twelve, and then the almost interception there. And you know, you can't blame the defensive back for not coming down to it. But if he does, that's a that's a touchdown play, and and you broke down the rest of that drive. But there it is, third and twelve, and so once again, third and long continues to haunt uh, the Wildcats. Did uh, let's finish up on the defense um, with this. Was it a defensive deficiency that lost us the game, or was it on the offense? Uh, if you're forced to pick one, who are you going to put it on, uh, uh, Brand? You go first, Gabe. Man, that's really tough. Ah, uh, I think with the defense at least, that's just I think their performance, I guess you would have expected a little bit more out of them just because of the continuity that you've had and and you had a lot of guys coming back. You have Yates's system still and everyone's coming back. So I think that's just kind of where the a, a lot of the disappointment falls, but I would mostly put it on the offense just because you have Khalil Tate and you have so much playmaking ability there it's just hard for me to believe that you know there wasn't a chance for him to have a read option or for him to just kind of do his thing and I think that's just more of the frustrating part to put up 23 points and have these stalled out drives all over again I think with Khalil Tate you just have so much available on offense and it was really a favorable situation to pair Kevin Sumlin in with uh, Noel Mazzoni and him and allow him to do his thing a little bit more. But I think there's just some handcuffs there. And then when Arizona gets down, Quill Tate gets a little bit more greedy and he tries to make things happen that aren't there. And so I think for me, it'll be more on the offense because then that poor offense kind of leads into poor defense when they're not getting a break and so that just makes everything less effective yeah i have to i have to agree with gabe i think that uh, yeah the defense's performance overall was disappointing just because like 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 you said you know yates is in year three um a lot of returners and stuff like that but you also got to remember too that they they were on the field pretty much for like the whole four, uh, third quarter so um, I mean, the first half they played, I mean, I mean, great. Uh, yeah, they were they gave up a couple plays here and there, but man, you look at the first half and they were like lights out. And then that that you know that third quarter started, and you know uh, 
things just, you know, uh, BYU just did a methodical drive. Okay, they gave a touchdown. Okay, that's cool. Uh, offense goes back out there, three and out. I mean, it was like, what, Gabe? It was like 30, 45 seconds that the offense was out there. Oh, yeah. So, so and then the defense, you know, after being on the field for like six minutes, had to go right back out there and be on the field for another six minutes. And then offense comes back out, and again, another three and out. So, yeah, the offense is definitely – the offense was definitely the reason why uh, the game fell apart. Um, because if you have 30 second three and outs after your defense is on the field for six minutes, how can you expect them to be ready, really, or uh, be effective? Uh, because they're still trying to recoup. Um, but with that, at the same time, I think that Yates and the staff needs to remember to actually start rotating players in and out more. Uh, I think that would actually help a lot. Um, once they, like I said, once they rotated Johnson Bulls and Belke out and put in JB, Jalen, and uh, uh, Connolly and and Mikey, that's when they started actually doing pretty well. So they just need to remember. To, I think the the defensive side of the ball needs to remember to rotate players in and out more. I would like to see that. I think that would help alleviate some of the um, fatigue. Yeah, I'm going to echo what you guys say. I don't care what you know advanced metric you're using that accounts for pace of play and all that. There, there's a, a significant factor that goes into watching your offense out there for less than you know a minute and a half in real time, and you got to get back out on the field. And so I think it is absolutely imperative, even if there's a drop off in talent, that you get the old uh, the oft promised but never delivered rich rod 22 deep, and, and truly rotate your defense um, because of the the psychological impact that has on a team. And if you look at all these high paced teams, you know, it's pretty tough for them to generate a, a significant uh, a defensive performance. A team like Stanford, even when they're having offensive struggles, you know, they're going to be out on the field for two or three minutes with a, with a, you know, a, a, uh, a three and out, they're going to be out there for the full allotted time. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. so you at least get a couple minutes to take a blow. And that's certainly not the case with, with our team. So, um, so let's uh, let's wrap up with this. Uh, Dylan Klumpf uh, did not increase his punting average by 15 yards, so I was a little disappointed with that. <laughs> Incredibly uh, relieved as an Arizona fan that the ball can be snapped, it can be received by the punter, and he can kick it with the center of his foot. That's a significant accomplishment for us, but I was, I don't know, I had a little bit higher hopes for, especially that, that touchback, and then the, when we were backed up in our end zone, I thought here's a chance for him to really let one fly and flip the field, and I don't know. I mean, that certainly wasn't anything that I, you know, change the outcome of the game but i was a little bit disappointed can we talk about can we talk about troy young getting just oh uh, man just he destroyed. got blazed right by <laughs> yeah dude it was so, so frustrating i was like god like he he comes in he comes in super hot and then this guy just whirls right by him and probably easy 35 yard return into our territory he had him dead to rights and on the sideline and just uh that i that was that was in my opinion the like personification of how everything was going for Arizona last night. And that was at a point in the game where I just felt like the hits, like you said, that third quarter, it felt just like the hits kept coming. And and I think you made a good point to go back on on why we kicked off and, and didn't didn't kick the onside kick. I, the last, you know, if you look at the the drive chart for the last uh, once we got to the fourth quarter, you know, we got them on down, so we did stop them on one of their fourth attempts, and then we forced them to punt. And you know, the last drive was standing, which was a killer. I mean, we still had a chance. We still had some timeouts, and and they kept pulling uh first downs but 
we were stopping them in the fourth and, and we, you know, we had a chance despite, uh, all the things that happened in the fourth quarter, the third quarter, excuse me. So, um, let's wrap up with this. Uh, you know, there's two schools of thought here. Um, I'm going to start with Gabe and then I'm going to let Brandon finish up with his real soapbox because we haven't heard it yet. Um, hmm. you know, the, the Ken in would have won the game. Um, the, uh, Rich Rod, you know, scores this many points and we're fine. I, I don't know. Being a uh, you know, 14 year season ticket holder and a lifetime Arizona fan. Um, I'm not sure I believe any of those things. I was thinking back, there's been a lot of seasons where this is pretty much what we do every year. And so uh, why would Kevin someone be immune to our history here? Um, although I had greater expectations, I think Gabe, you know, made a good point that, you know, these guys have been there, done that. And so, you know, the give them time angle is, is maybe a little generous. I don't know. I, I can see both sides of the argument, but our let's finish off with our takes on, should you exercise patience here, or is it reasonable to be critical? Um, why don't you start, Gabe, and then, Brandon, you, you go ahead and light up all the, the Twittersphere and uh, social media peeps. Yeah, I mean, I think it's fair to be critical because when you walked into this situation from the beginning, from spring and off season, you said, hey, he's got a Heisman caliber quarterback here. He's got three freshman All-American linebackers. He's got his D coordinator coming back. So there's continuity on the defense. We all kind of knew about the offensive line and that would be hesitant. And, uh, you know, but w with Khalil Tate, I mean, anything is possible, really. He saved Rich Rod's jobs that second half of the season. If Brandon Dawkins is still the quarterback, you know, Arizona maybe wins three, four games that year tops and so for me in terms of implementation as well for me based on a lot of the fall and spring camp as well you know they just said not a whole lot is different it's just the terminology and so for me it's all football and for them they all understand football and you know i don't think that there's a whole lot of especially on defense there should be no reason that there's new implementation of anything really because you have marcel yates and you know maybe he has a little bit more control maybe uh, he adds a wrinkle here or there but i think that should all be the same and then when you have a guy like khalil tate and all the a weak pac-12 conference this year and you're thinking pac-12 south championship perhaps and you know like we've said in our first episodes here every game is winnable for arizona there's not a game where you're like, oh, man, yeah, going at UW, that's going to be tough or going at USC, you know, the, I don't know about that. So every game just looks winnable. But now it, you drop to BYU and now Houston's not looking like a for sure win. They came out as a four and a half point favorite right now. You this could end up in a 2 star. And I mean, for us, we all had higher expectations at the prior to kind of this o-line mischief and with nathan eldridge out and all of that i had them at nine wins and i still had them at eight wins even with this uncertainty and now you're kind of you know you're you're digging yourself out of a hole right now after week one and there were just i i think with everything that they have there's just no there i yeah there's just it was just a very favorable situation for someone and gang to just step into right now so that's where I kind of stand on that. All right. So. <laughs> Checks <laughs> notes. Yeah. Clear throat. All right. So um, 
I agree that it is okay to be frustrated, especially with everything that Gabe mentioned. There is 100%, you know, every fan has 100% right um, and, and, and in all fairness should be frustrated at, at what occurred against, B, or against BYU. To be critical, sure. Hey, why the, why the hell didn't uh, Kalitate run more? Fine. Holy crap, did I just see, I saw the enti- borderline, the entire fan base take a nosedive off a cliff and, and smash onto the, the rock bed below. I have, I, I, I saw people say like, uh, people who I remember seeing uh, just like, no, we don't want Ken. We don't want Ken in. We don't want Neil Montalolo here, blah, 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 blah. We want Kevin Sumlin. Kevin Sumlin comes in. They lose the first game in a new regime, and people are screaming for, for Ken in to come back, we're screaming for Rich Rod. And these were people that hated Rich Rod. I don't, I don't get it. Like I cannot fat my mind cannot fathom that type of it's, it's borderline wishy washy, like cannot stand up to adversity type of behavior that I think is unacceptable as a fan base for the first game of a new regime. If this was, let's say rich rod was still here. Right. And it was the same, if the same result happened in rich Rod's seventh year here, I can understand if it was his third year here, I can understand first game, first year. Don't understand it. I don't, don't get how it can, it can just take a nosedive like that. Frustrated. Yes. Upset. Yes. Complete, like just blatant disregard for anything. I, I, I don't, I can't, I can't back. I can't back that up. I can't say that, that that's acceptable behavior as a fan base. I, I don't I don't think I've ever seen a fan base act, act like that or say some stuff like that after the first game of, of a regime change. So yeah, don't 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 worry, uh, Brandon. Uh, ASU after Herm destroyed uh, uh, UT San Antonio, they've already declared him the next Saban. So um, oh I, I was, oh lordy, not the not the UTSA Roadrunners. <laughs> Uh, a challenge indeed. It was an all-time great opening game uh, performance for sure. Um, I probably was uh, one of those people on your feed that was filling it with nonsense. But I, I think it, you know, as many of my my Twitter, my tweets, uh, you know, the next day they get on like, okay, now that I've had a little perspective, maybe I overreacted last night. And I think <laughs> it's just a disappointment. Legitimately, the stadium was pretty full and legitimately the fans stuck around. It had a weird sort of sense, um, that the team lacked urgency. I don't know if Clilt was tight cause he, he was trying to, you know, put on a performance from a passing standpoint or if the team kind of felt like they were going to roll BYU or, or what it was. I kind of think it was, I kind of think it was the roll BYU. I guarantee you that could have been, I don't don't want to put, yeah, I don't want to, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you don't want to put that on a team, you know, interpret intent, but I mean, you know, sometimes something's just kind of, you know, you know, as a fan and someone who consumes a lot of football, you get a feeling about how that is. I mean, obviously we can't speak to anyone else's intent and you're talking about a collective group. So how the quote unquote group felt, but it just had a weird vibe, but there was a lot of people there and, and they didn't pour out at the halftime. I mean, they didn't even really pour out until, you know, you know, halfway into the fourth quarter when that one drive uh, didn't result in anything and, and we had to punt, um, you know, at that point, you know, 
the second to last drive. I mean, I, I think there were still people that were legitimately there thinking, hey, we're going to win this game. And so um, I think it's, you know, it, you know, there's never, you know, the spectrum of fandom as you guys, I think astutely point out, you know, you've got the raw raws that are, you know, you can never say anything bad about the team. And then you have the, you know, curmudgeon, you get off my lawn. It's never good enough. We should have won a Rose Bowl every single year guy. And, you know, obviously all of us fall somewhere on that spectrum and we can move up and down that spectrum in any given moment and any degree of frustration or uh, excitation. But, uh, you know, I I think I lean a little tor- towards Gabe in the sense that um, I think disappointment was my overall take. Maybe it was, um, you know, as much on me for getting wound up about the season more than was realistic. I've had significant doubts about the offensive line with as many starters as we obviously ended up replacing and uh, Mazzoni's offense. But that's, you know, my oh, take by, early. By all means, disappointment is a, is a very... Um, understandable uh, emotion, I guess, or even thought after, after that performance last night, but just some of the other stuff I saw is just like, ah, I don't, why are you guys already calling for someone's head? It's the first game. <laughs> I was def- the first game. I was definitely retweeting the, uh, you know, Ken and Yamatololo would have won that game uh, thing. Oh, and that then, was killing me, dude. That was uh, absolutely killing me. And Believe then I, I was man. laughing about the, uh, <laughs> it turns out the only person who can stop Khalil Tate is his offensive coordinator. I thought it was a pretty funny line. And, um, and so I was joking that, you know, um, and these were all set out totally facetious, um, you know, that I'm sure Khalil would have been a little happier if Ken N was running his offense today since he's not being able to be effective. But I mean, that was a little bit of frustration and sarcasm. I guess, so. the, I guess the thing, and I, I just, it was so good to see the, the, the zone of Zeus say for like the majority of the game, like you set up until about, but I think it was actually once BYU scored their last touchdown. I think that's when they started filing out. even longer than that. I would say that stadium didn't really, I mean, so the stadium was probably, you know, it was announced at what 55,000 and change or whatever, you know, whatever the, the number of, people attended, you know, relative to other games. It was a solid attendance. I would say, you know, I've had season tickets for 14 years. I've been to almost all those games. And I would say it was, you know, 80% um, to start. And that's really solid. I mean, the upper deck on the uh, East was, you know, pretty full. There was a fair amount of BYU fans, but I mean, we're Arizona. We got a, we got a big Mormon population. They're going to show up for sure. And that's not an unreasonable trip to travel. And BYU travels very well. Very well. They got a good fan base. Um, you know, the entire West was full. The The North End Zone's always full because those are the nicer seats. Um, mm-hmm. And then even under the scoreboard had a pretty decent thing. And then, like you said, the Zone Azul was probably 60 to 70%. And, and I wouldn't say until we punted um, on that second-to-last series. So we, we scored the touchdown. Um, and then uh, we got them to force out on downs like they went for it on fourth. And, and I thought, hey, man, we go score here. You know, we're cooking with gas. And then we ended up punting uh, with about eight minutes left. And that's about when people started rolling out. Um, it just but it was weird. The whole game, it, it didn't it, there was a lot of people there, but there wasn't excitement. It was a very strange level of attendance <laughs> without, um, you know, I don't know. I, I can't blame Arizona fans for being um, snake bitten. You know, they've. You know, ever since the but this isn't yeah, this isn't the Rich Rod years. Like I understand the the bitterness. Oh God, I understand that. Um, especially squandering you know that Pac-12 South championship. But um, I think once people let that go, once they you know don't have um, flashbacks of that era, I th- 
that's what that's I think that in my opinion that that's probably why all that crap came out after the game. There's doesn't mean it, it's right in that it should have come out, but but that's why I think it, it like once people I think people just need to let that go and realize that uh, Kevin Sullivan is not Rich Rod. Um, and and in my opinion, he's a better coach. That's why he was hired. Um, so I I don't know. I think once people let that go, it'll be better. But maybe you're right. Maybe there's just they're still snake bitten from the Rich Rod era at this point. Well, uh, he certainly doesn't score as much as Rich Rod. Whoa, um, Gabe. <laughs> um, why don't you? I don't want to get into a big diatribe on this. I want to go over the over the scores, but. I found it strange that people didn't buy into Rich Rod. He had an exciting brand, lots of scoring, and then they had Khalil Tate. And I remember that game uh, against Oregon State where Khalil Tate's a legit Heisman candidate and nobody shows up for the game. Do you want to give a take on why you think Arizona fans didn't buy into uh, Rich Rod? Uh, like as a coach or just like Nobody attended just... the games. Why, why didn't people attend Rich Rod's games? Um, I mean, that, I mean, that's what's interesting because I remember even back in the Fiesta Bowl year um, when we were hosting UW and that was like a top 15 matchup. They were still pushing for a sellout and I don't think that that game even was a sellout. And so I don't know. I mean, I think it's just always comes even with Khalil Tate and that's what I'm saying. Like the Oregon state game, when they came back, Khalil Tate, I mean, Oregon state at home, Khalil Tate's a Heisman candidate, senior day is a guaranteed W. And that stadium was like, meh. Yeah. I, I, for me, I think it just always comes down to just kind of the atmosphere and just what, what else you're able to do with that time and that money. Because I mean, for me, I, you know, I, I definitely could drive down to Tucson every game and, and stay I for me I would rather stay overnight than make the drive after a game um so I guess that is just kind of uh, additional time that gets eaten up but for me it's just kind of like I think I would just rather be at home and just be able to surf through all the games and that's kind of my thing and then also just for you know I think your your average Tucson family to go to a game that can be pretty pricey and and your uh you know you just really I, I think some of the prices when I at least check to go to a couple of games a year, I mean, it's kind of like, well, after like fees and then you're going parking and eating, you know, that, that's a pretty pricey venture out there. And so I think right now he is doing a great job. He's got some, I mean, beer is going to add uh, to the cost of going, but it certainly helps now uh, keeping people there. And I think they're adding a whole bunch to all their menus and just a whole lot more the emphasis on that fan experience. The Wi-Fi is still probably garbage out there, but yes, I mean, it was. I think, <laughs> but I mean, I think overall it just comes down to kind of your cost benefit analysis here where, you know, you're able to stay at home and, and have more people over and watch games and just have that kind of atmosphere than, than spend your money and then go out there and then that's it. So, that's always kind of been my take, but it is it, it has been interesting because I, I noticed that ever since the Fiesta Bowl season when, you know, Arizona was a top 15 team hosting uh, some big names and they still had trouble selling out. Yeah. Um, shout out to the U of A for letting people take their beer to their seat. If you get a beer at the ASU game, you have to sit in a giant dog kennel pen and it's ridiculous. Okay, I'll, 
Yeah, I was wondering about that, if you could drink at your seat or not. Yeah, people are taking their beers out. My section, you can drink anyhow because it's up in an air. It's all boxed off. But, yeah, in the regular seats, people were bringing their beers down. And at ASU, if you were in a regular seat, you had to go back to the dog pens and, and drink back there <laughs> watching it on some crappy little TV on a post. It was a, Just unlike, like it should be up there. Just like it should be, right? It was like <laughs> Tent City Joe Arpaio's running ASU's beer garden. So, <laughs> um, insert some sort of joke there. Um, so, Brandon, let's wrap up with this. Uh, because it's interesting to me if Gabe's right and it's all a cost benefit analysis and a lot of people have made that point like you know I got a four you know 4k you know setup and it's cheaper and blah 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 why why did people show up to this game well I just think that you know like I said I think people deep down realize that Kim someone's not rich rod so uh and they're actually excited for for uh the football team and um you know, like that, that to them is worth going out and, and uh, experiencing, you know, game day because, you know, honestly, yeah, watching it on TV is all good and dandy. And it, I guess you can say it's more comfortable. But to me, nothing really beats being in the stadium, you know, experiencing the actual game day live. You know, that's that's always a really fun experience to me. And it's always a really good experience, um, especially showing that the athletic department um is making a, a valiant effort to improve the fans' experience at Arizona Stadium, doing the upgrades, which, by the way, look amazing in pictures. I can't wait to see it in person. Um, and, uh, and, and you know, selling beer and, like Gabe was talking about, you know, upping the menu, making it better, um, selling EGs for, for goodness sake, thank God. Um, you know, that, that kind of stuff is is to me would make going to uh, Arizona like leaving the comfort of my of my house to go to Arizona Stadium on on the day on the weekend you know or the weekly basis. You want to say something there, Gabe? Uh no. I mean, at, at least for so I think going back to kind of the Rich Rod point, uh, I I for me personally, I guess it, it would come down to why you don't come to Oregon State because maybe at that point just kind of like okay the season. You know, it turned out a lot better than expected, but it's just like it's not as exciting. But here, I think there's a lot more hype into the season. I think they really put a lot more efforts into generating season tickets. And, you know, they they really pumped out Quill Tate and Colin Schooler marketing media here. And I think there's a lot of excitement around the team right now. And so, um, you know, they, they showed up last night and. It's going to be interesting how that Houston game plays out. If it's a win, um, you know, how many of those 52-ish thousand come back? And then if it's a loss, is it going to look like, you know, that 2016 uh, oh, Rich oh, Rod season? Oh, and yeah. so, yeah, If they um, lose yeah. to Houston and there's, a, there's an FCS team coming in, it's going to be a ghost town. Yeah, and so I think it just kind of depends on the trajectory of the season. I think last year, at least for the Oregon State game, that was just a little too late in the season. But here, um, you know, it's a new season and everyone was optimistic. And so when you come back to that Southern Utah game, I'm, I'm very curious to see how, uh, you know, ticket holders react to that. Yeah, it's going to be real interesting to see how they embrace uh, Kevin Sumlin. He's certainly, um, he's got sort of a, you know, humble sort of blue collar, likable guy thing going to where Rich Rod always kind of, you know, he's kind of felt like he was trying to sell you real estate or something. I don't know. <laughs> A used car. Really. Yeah, exactly. Uh, insert, um, 
uh, Marcel Yates joke there. Um, <laughs> let's, oh, no. uh, well, let's, um, <clears throat> let's um, go over our, our picks for the week. Uh, Brandon, you're going to want to cover your eyes for this one, buddy. Um, so um, San Diego State uh, at Stanford. Um, the uh, spread was uh, 14 and a half. Uh, Stanford covered uh, with 21. Uh, the over-under was uh, 49, so the under hit. Um, Gabe hit, uh, we all, we all three hit on third. Um, I'm the only one who took the under, so I hit there and I'll give us a, a cumulative here at the end. Um, Colorado, Colorado state, uh, at mile high or whatever they're calling it now. Um, the spread was seven and a half and Colorado covered amply. Both of you guys took the point. So I, I got that one. Uh, they hit the under, uh, not they were three points short, 58, 61. And so, uh, Gabe took the under me and Brandon were on the over there. Um, Ohio state and, uh, Oregon state. Um, Oof. yeah, that's, <laughs> they, they covered, uh, they covered a 37 point spread, 46 yeah. points. Uh, so me and Gabe hit on that one. Um, Brandon was looking for the points there and, uh, they hit the over at a whopping 108 with a spread of 64. So, uh, under be damned. I was the only one that took the over there. Whoop, whoop. Um, Washington State at Wyoming, the pirate, um, you know, out to see Schwashbuckley. Man, I don't even want to talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> so Washington State covered amply. Uh, the spread was three, and uh, they won by 22. Uh, that was me and Gabe. And then uh, the over was 60. They The over was 48, and it hit 60. So um, we all three hit on the over there. Um, I'm going to stop here and let Gabe have a little bit of glut, uh, gluttony time here. So Auburn um, covered. Uh, it was a two and a half point spread and it was a five point win, uh, with a 48 and a half point over, but the, so none of us, Oh, and Gabe took the under. So he double nailed it there. So Gabe, Oof. I have to ask, um, when it was a two point game, you weren't sweating that one a little bit. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. Well, cause I had originally thought that Auburn was just going to blow the doors off UW. Like I thought UW had no shot. Um, but then, yeah, oh man, Washington certainly made it interesting. I was like, man, ooh, I mean, I, I'm, I'm more impressed with Washington than I, than I was before. Um, but yeah, that, I was sweaty. Yeah, that was, that was actually, a, you know, I mean, talk about first seat, first game of the season, you know, missed opportunities there. Both teams, uh, tried their best not to win that game. And, and so I, I thought that that was actually, you know, I would have thought with, with Browning and uh, Peterson that they would have been the team that would have not missed the opportunities, and, and maybe Auburn would have been. But I certainly think Auburn's New talent. offensive coordinator, man. Yeah. You got Bush Hamdan back as a coordinator. so Yeah, and, you know, the field goal and all that. I mean, just sometimes it's not sure. your day. Um, yeah. But the Pac-12, here goes another snake bit season. And, you know, nothing I'd loathe more than hearing ESPN, you know, shramming SEC down your throat. Um, so, um, UNC Cal, um, it was actually a push. The spread was seven and, and it was seven. So, we're only going to have the opportunity for ten, uh, you know, possible wins on the uh, against the spread for the plays. Uh, we all had Cal, so we all pushed. Um, the under hit for all of us, it was a 61-point um over under and there was only 41 points scored um sc did not cover um they were three three and a half points short there uh, uh 25 and a half point uh spread and they only won by 22 um i told you that freshman was gonna the, the true high school senior was gonna cost them um yep 
And so <laughs> the over under was 62 and a half. So they did hit the over and I was the only one who took that. Um, uh, UCLA, uh, Cincinnati. Ooh. Uh, we're going to have to talk about this one here. Um, <laughs> So, obviously, we all took the points, and Cincinnati won, so there you go. And that was a 62-point over, and so over-under, and, and um, it was 43 total points. So, um, I know um, Gabe was tweeting about this game. You know, give us the, the, the take on that game, Gabe. Was that the only game that saved Arizona's weekend, UCLA looking like a trash can fire? I mean, yeah, pretty much. I mean, it's just... Yeah, they just looked rough, and I mean, I, I kind of, I didn't put too much stock into them because I don't trust Wilton Spate. Like, I watched the All or Nothing on Michigan on Amazon, and just like on and off the field, like I'm not like totally blown away by this kid. And then having him as your starter, uh, Dorian Thompson Robinson, uh, I think that's it. yeah, um, DTR. He uh, he looked pretty good, but I mean, they just, I mean, uh, they just couldn't capitalize on anything it was just gross and so i mean i kind of figured 18 was way too generous and i was like man they could lose it like i i could have i would have probably picked cincinnati to win uh um, 18 <laughs> yeah and so take the money yeah that was, that was just a gross game so uh moving on to oregon um oregon uh covered the spread uh 31 and a half they they won by 34 as the only one that took oregon um the over-under, they did not hit. I was a little surprised by that, 73-and-a-half, and they only got the 58 points. Um, any takeaways from the Oregon game? I mean, they started off, oh, God. I mean, they look like crap starting off the game. Um, honestly, it just could be a uh, first game of the year, so that could have just been that. But then they started clicking, and, you know, Justin Herbert was just dropping passes in, dropping passes in. So, um yeah, I mean he's he's back up to you know normal Justin Herbert ways. So um, ASU um, uh, amply covered. Um, they absolutely blew UT San Antonio out of the water, and then they hit the over too. So um, you guys, out of spite, uh, took the points. I took ASU and I took the over. So win for me there. Uh, but none of us watched that game out of spite for the program. Um, I watched uh, UT uh, San Diego Ferd. I thought it was one of the better games of the weekend. I, I think it was the the pr- the proof that you don't have to have a ton of scoring to have a real exciting game. Both pink teams are power run, pro set, uh, defense first, and and that you know that was a great game. I thought uh, Costello you know was starting to come into his own. They they put the clamps down on um, Love and. Um there was a team that was able to overcome uh, the team's game plan and limiting their Heisman candidate by executing in another fashion. And, and Costello was hitting his targets and, and, and pulled out against a really good San Diego state game. Any comments on that from either of you guys? Uh, I mean, just surprising that they were able to hold Bryce love down. I mean, you would have figured, um, I mean, San Diego state's got a good program down there, but I, I mean, you could have expected, you know, 28 rushes for, uh, like 212 yards and four touchdowns out of him. So, I mean, pretty pretty interesting to see them shut him down, especially week one. Yeah, Shaw likes to, um, you know, he likes it when people stack the box because he knows if it breaks one, they're going to the house. They just never got that one that broke them, and I think that's yeah. why it worked. I mean, they had their free safety five yards from the line of scrimmage. I mean, <laughs> they, they were making no bones about what they were trying to do. So, It's um, really interesting actually seeing – 
just the quality of running backs that San Diego State puts out too. Unreal. Like, every um, year. Yeah, every year, dude. Yeah, the commitment to a system there and recruiting the guys. I mean, you know, and I know he was on the 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 coach there at San Diego State was on the list of people, you know, um, and potentially to come instead of someone. And you know, I, I love Ferd. I wish Arizona was Ferd in the sense that you know they run such a unique system and the way they you know you can make all your you know the jokes about Shaw and his stubbornness and all this jazz, but I mean the consistent commitment to their their system and the guys they bring in and how they execute it. I, I just have nothing but admiration for how they run that program. Um, Colorado and Colorado State. Um, you know, I caught some of this game. Um, yeah, I mean Colorado State. There, you know, Carter Carter Samuels was you know benched in this game, and this was just a talent deficit game. Um, Viscus, whatever his name, Caviscus, K- K- the kid who went Laviska. La- Laviska. Oh yeah, I call, I call him Viscus. He's super slick. Um, you know that guy. He was tearing up CSU. Oh, yeah. The talent gap was brutal. Any thoughts on that? Uh, no, I didn't watch too much of that, but I, I was kind of keeping my eye on that. But, I mean, good start for, for Colorado. But, yeah, Colorado State's just not good. Yeah, they're horrible. So, I mean, I, I, I like Steven Montez. I actually think he's a – I mean, he's not my favorite quarterback in, in the Pac-12, obviously. But um, <laughs> I think he's he's a decent one. Um Dear Christ, like Colorado State made him look like a freaking Heisman candidate. <laughs> that whole team looked like a Heisman candidate. Oh, mackerel, man. These guys are like national championship bound. Colorado State, you know, talent gap to Colorado was worse than the, the Weber State Utah gap. I mean, <laughs> I mean, Utah ended up, you know, burying Weber State, but they had to go for it on fourth down on two separate occasions and they ran a fake punt to jack up the score on an FCS school. I mean, real, really? I mean, Utah, Utah fans are going to walk away and yeah, we, we laid the line, you know, we laid the lumber on those guys and, and, and you had to go it on fourth down on multiple occasions and you ran a fake punt. In Dude, the first every game first, of the every first down that Utah got, I just pictured you mumbling to yourself underneath your breath. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there was a great play in that game where, um, Hunley, you know, you know, was like in a scrum of dudes. He spun out, ran around, sprinted to the sideline, and hit a guy on a comeback on a on a rope. It was pretty impressive. But man, he he launches that ball at his wide receiver so fast they can barely catch it. It's you know, it's, it's I'm shocked they can they get done what they get done. Um, I thought you were gonna say uh, I thought you were gonna say the best play was when Huntley didn't see the uh, the Weaver State uh, oh, safety yeah. for a pick six. Yeah, that was such a bad throw. And he had another <laughs> one called back on that ridiculous call. That was garbage. Yeah. So that was another interception he had. And I would say Weaver State dropped another two potential interceptions. So he could have had a four interception game. Uh, sh- long and short of that is, I'm still sticking to my Utah's offenses hot garbage take. I'm sure, <laughs> I'm sure they'll go crazy this year and will be awful and then I'll have to you know choke on that. Um, uh, how about uh, Oregon State or um, uh, Ohio State? You guys catch much of that one? I caught yeah. a little bit. Not too much. Yeah, I was on and off, and then they had a storm delay, so that kind of dragged it out. But, I mean, I'm impressed. Oregon State put up more points than Arizona did this weekend. But, like, there were just some drives where they couldn't even, like, there was, I I think it ended up being, like, a six-play drive. But uh, a bad snap, and quarterback has to fall on it on first down, second down, just kind of a 
basic run play and then third down i think it was isaiah hodgins with a ridiculous catch to extend the drive then the very next first down another poor snap it was just terrible uh from oregon state and ohio state was doing whatever they wanted but still surprising that they still put up 31 yeah it's uh it's kind of scary because you figure if we were playing in that game maybe we wouldn't score 31 <laughs> points get blown out yeah. even more um Let, let's not talk about that. yeah we <laughs> too soon too soon uh gabe uh what'd you think about washington state shellac and wyoming we know that brandon um, doesn't want to hear about this so i mean wyoming well why wyoming played new mexico state last week was that uh, yeah. whoever yeah. it was they yeah, were the aggies and yeah. their new stadium and got, yeah and they got blown out again this past week i forgot who it was minnesota new mexico state minnesota. was hot garbage yeah so and yeah i mean washington state looks kind of the same even without luke falk uh Minshew had like almost 60 attempts and over 300 yards and like five touchdowns. So looks almost exactly the same. So it's going to be interesting to see how uh, they kind of formulate everything. And if they're still the same Washington state and if they can come up with another decent eight win season. Did you guys see the crazy formation that they ran? Yeah. The the slurpy left. That was the weirdest thing I've ever seen. Yeah. Yeah. Where the wide receiver snapped in the ball. The slurpy yeah. left. Yeah, he's been working on it for a while. He's tweeting that out. I'm telling you, the Pirate is the Bill Belichick of college. He could pull a quarterback <laughs> out of, like, a, a former lacrosse player. Or uh, did you see that picture in New England? They found some weird f- fluorescent, uh, iridescent lobster. Lobster, lobster. Yeah. And then yep. they're like, some dude tweets out, Bill uh, Belichick signs of a wide receiver was going to win <laughs> yeah. this year. So. Yeah. The Pirate does that with quarterbacks. He's like, you know, there's going to uh, – He's going to have like a a marmot throw for 5,000 yards next year. Meanwhile, we can't hit a freaking pass. So, um, And then uh, tell it, Brandon, uh, what did you think about the SC game? Tell us about uh, the high school seniors' debut in Division One. I. I was actually underwhelmed. Um, I mean, uh, USC actually gave up a crap ton of rushing yards to UNLV. Um their running back and their quarterback got over 100 yards each rushing, um, and it was it was it was a really close game for the most part. And then near the, um, I think it was about midway through the third quarter, that's when USC started to pull away. And then you know, that's just a talent deficit at that point. But, um, you know, like it's, I, I think that Amon Ross St. Brown is going to be a safety blanket for JT Daniels this entire season. Um, um, I'm still very like I'm at USC's backfield actually legitimately intrigues me. I'm not sure what to really make of it or how good it's actually really going to be. So I'm kind of going to keep an eye on that one throughout the year, uh, especially with Stephen Carr and Aka Cedric Ware. And um, man, I forgot the other guy's name, but uh, kid from Hawaii, man, I forgot his name. But anyway, yeah. I, and so I'm just kind of interested to see how that that's, I, I think USC is going to underperform again this year. That's my legitimate take on this. And uh, let's wrap up with uh, Cal. I mean, the, we might have to jump on the Cal bandwagon. If we lose to Houston, I might have to become a Cal fan. Uh, what did you think about that game, Gabe? Yeah, this one was interesting because Cal just jumped all over them, and then uh, the second half kind of happened. I would have expected them to uh, – 
beat them by a little bit more. Um, but Cal's got some quarterback issues kind of right now. They're, they uh, were rotating between uh, Ross Bowers and uh, Chase uh, Garbers, maybe. Um, yeah, Ross just really wasn't doing it. Um, they were really just containing the run, and so Chase was a little bit more mobile and kind of added some uh, a different dimension. Um, and they could have almost lost you or you. Yeah. UNC could have recovered a onside kick, but there was a penalty and that pretty much sealed it, but pretty interesting. I'm still pretty high on Cal. I like to watch them as well. I still kind of keep in touch with Regal and Ravel is out there every once in a while. So had my eye on that and I think Cal could, uh, could, they could, uh, ruin somebody's season up there in the North for sure. Uh, so overall, um, Gabe, you went uh, six uh, out of ten on game uh, picks against the spread, and seven of eleven for uh, picking the over/under. Uh, Brandon, hey. uh, two out of ten on games against the spread, <laughs> and four out of eleven on um, over/unders. Hot liquid garbage. All right. <laughs> so we'll have a running tab this year. You'll have your chance to make up some ground here. Um, <laughs> I went seven for 10 on the games and eight for 11 on the over uh, unders. And I just wanted to throw out uh, Chris uh, at four ply guy uh, tweeted in his game picks for us. And he did six for 10 on his game picks and seven of 11 on his against the spread. So uh, he was in there. Right. I did give him credit. He, he tweeted at us OSU and the over. I'm assuming he meant at Ohio State and not Oregon State. So that could I could have interpreted <laughs> that either way. But um, I'm going to go ahead and assume he picked or, uh, Ohio there. Um, we're going to get a – this actually ran very long, uh, but it was a lot of good stuff. So that's okay. Uh, we're happy to do it, and hopefully you guys enjoy it. Um, if you guys – uh, grab us on iTunes or Google Play. Please leave a review. Please tweet or email us with any feedback. Uh, please share on social media and, and recommend us um, so that we can get um, all this good content that Brandon and Gabe have out to the Arizona fans. Um, we will be back uh, on Thursday with a quick Friday one. Maybe we'll cut that one a little bit short, 10 or 15 minutes, as opposed to maybe a 30-minute. I thought we were going to have two 30-minute ones, and we want an hour and a half on this one. Uh, but uh, like I said, a lot of good stuff. And, uh, and have our picks and our preview for the next game. Uh, bear down, gentlemen. Bear down. Bear down.